We rate food. We rate restaurants, hotels, movies. Yet our largest investment, our property, and the apartment that my children will possibly one day buy, they will have no idea what they're shifting into. They will know that there's a granite bench top. They will know that there's a drop-off pool. But I've never seen foreign life safety advertised as a feature. And at the moment, there is obviously more interest in wanting to know what we're actually living in. So let's inform people. Let's let people have some information. Let's create incentives for new buildings to actually build above the standard. Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Bernadette Ballantyne, and this is the second in our series of four podcasts exploring fire safety in tall buildings. In our first episode, we considered the current situation with regard to fire safety in tall buildings, and we examined the fundamental flaws in the system that were identified by Dame Judith Hackett in her independent review of building regulations published in May. We also examined the evidence given to the public inquiry into the Grenfell disaster. This inquiry will identify the cause of the fire and the means of spread, the design and construction of Grenfell Tower and the decisions related to its modification and refurbishment, the scope and adequacy of building regulations and other legislation, fire prevention and safety measures, risk management by the local authority and tenant management organisation and responses from various stakeholders to the fire itself. Some say that a single event should not define our approach to fire safety, that we should be more proactive. But the reality is that regulations and legislation are often reactive. For example, the atrocities of September the 11th, where terrorists flew planes into New York's World Trade Centre, destroying both 450 metre tall towers, gave rise to a new suite of building regulations that were incorporated into the country's international building code. Structural resistance to building collapse was improved, Third exit stairways were specified for tall buildings over 125 metres. The width of stairways in new high-rise buildings was increased by 50%. Requirements for fireproofing and active fire protection systems were increased. And a new class of evacuation elevator was introduced. Back in the UK, not only have we formed regulations reactively, we've also failed to learn from our fires. Recommendations made following the Lacknell House fire in 2009, in which six people died, were not followed. The inquiry into the fire in the 14-storey building made recommendations to the Department for Communities and Local Government that providers of multiple occupancy housing be encouraged to retrofit sprinklers in high-rise buildings, and that a review of the building regulations was required, specifically the route to compliance using approved document B, which we discussed in our first podcast. As we researched this subject and learned more about what's possible in terms of fire safety, I kept asking myself the same question. How can developers and providers of social housing and tall buildings be incentivised to build in more resilience and use some of the amazing innovations that are already in the market to make buildings more fire safe? Then I heard Justin Francis talking about the very same thing at the FireX International Tall Building Fire Safety Network conference. Let's create incentives for new buildings to actually build above the standard. Most of the buildings that I've inspected are built to the minimum standard. We just need to get over this line to meet this minimum standard. Now all of a sudden, I've got a six star rated foreign life safety building, which actually sells for $10,000 more because 
they've implemented slightly above the standard, they've put in occupant evacuation lifts for people that are going to be over the age of 60 that may need assistance to evacuate. It creates incentives for older buildings. How do we address these older buildings with these ageing standards? Now we start putting a rating system to this building and we're actually informing people what they're living in. It puts pressure on these buildings to possibly improve and to give lengthy timeframes to, to factor into these upgrades. It informs the tenant. All of a sudden the purchaser of that apartment or the tenant is actually aware of what they're about to shift into. That's pretty powerful information. Am I going to shift into a two-star fire and life safety rated building? It might influence my decision, which now starts to, to put pressure on the industry to improve. The tenant and the purchaser demand for buildings of a higher rating would drive change in the building industry. So when we look at other sectors like the car industry and these environmental ratings, this has potential to actually inform people um, with some knowledge on what they're living in. I was intrigued. Is this the solution? A rating system's already worked for environmental performance of buildings. The Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design, LEAD, rating is widely used all over the world to recognise performance on sustainability and environmental excellence. There are 94,000 projects in 165 countries that currently have a LEED certification. To get this certification, projects pursue credits that earn points, and these points are translated into a certification level, which is either certified, meaning you've passed, silver, gold or platinum. Would a similar system inspire market-leading approaches to be used in fire safety? I needed to know more. So I found Justin at the Tall Building Conference and discovered that his idea came from a wider research project that's seen him examine tall buildings all over the world. My name's Justin Francis. I'm an operational fire officer from Australia. And in 2016, 2017, I um, conducted a, a Churchill Fellowship research project around the world looking at um, how we can improve building fire safety internationally and also looking at uh, particularly evacuation um, improvements for high-rise buildings. I asked him to explain his key findings. One of the biggest areas of interest from the research that I conducted, not only look, am I trying to encourage um, the improvement in mobility impaired evacuation, there's an aspect of, of introducing a building fire and life safety rating system that, that is applied to new buildings and also old buildings. Currently we have very minimal opportunity to actually improve older buildings around the world. And we're all aware now that we're having an ageing stock of buildings that are 30, 40, 50 years of age. Um, throughout the history of building development, we keep changing standards and codes, which are quite often a reaction to an event, as we're seeing in the UK at the moment. So at what point do we accept that we have to actually improve some of these older buildings? And that, and that may actually mean retrofitting certain systems. I think a great example to, um, to look at around the world is the earthquake-prone rating system in New Zealand that was introduced in 2017. And this um, system applies a rating system to buildings to look at buildings that are susceptible to earthquakes. The new national system for managing earthquake-prone buildings was introduced in New Zealand in July 2017 following the 7.8 magnitude Keikora earthquake that hit the South Island in November 2016. Under the system, territorial authorities are required to identify buildings that are prone to earthquakes and issue a notice to the building owner that requires them to have an engineering assessment of the building. 
This assessment must then be provided to the Territorial Authority, who will determine its vulnerability to the earthquake, assign a rating and issue a notice of required actions and publish this information in a public register. Notices have to be displayed on the building and a deadline for the remedial work is provided, which is in part based on the seismic risk of the area, which is devised as high, medium or low. Now, now this system, what it, what it does is it identifies buildings that fall below a certain level and then identifies that these buildings actually need to improve. And, and this is not about making them improve tomorrow, but it's giving them a time frame. It might be 10 years that they need to look at making improvements. Otherwise, they need to possibly look at the future of that building as maybe not being viable. Such a system is a powerful example of how building owners can be incentivised to improve building safety. And Justin's vision is that a fire and life safety rating system would do the same for existing building stocks around the world, as well as stimulate investment in innovative measures for new tall buildings. I've been involved in um, the commissioning of a lot of new buildings in Australia. And something I became very aware of was a lot of, a lot of these buildings were built to meet the minimum standard. This is to get over the line, to get this building up and running. It, there's major costs involved in putting these buildings together, so we don't really always want to go above the standard. Whereas this building fire and life safety rating system could actually, um, almost very similar to the environmental efficiency rating systems we see around the world, it actually almost acts as a badge of honour to put at the front of this building and say we're a six star or we're a five star building fire and life safety rated building. Um, I think another important aspect is to inform the occupier and the purchaser of a building of what they're actually buying into or what they're going to live in. We, we currently have no way of telling what sort of systems and fire systems are actually in the building that you reside in. Do you actually have two stairs? Do you have lift evacuation available? And these are all things that, this is, a, is an opportunity to inform the, the occupants, which puts pressure on the industry to improve. Very similar to what's happened in the car industry where we have um, in Australia um, ANCAP car ratings which tell us how safe that car is. So most of the cars in Australia now sold have very high safety ratings. So that's an example where the industry has actually now changed to meet the purchaser. It's been over the last 10, 15 years, but now it's, it's not optional. N not many people would buy. You, you can't sell a car in Australia that falls into a lower classification in that rating. And, and what I'm proposing is the same with the building industry. Why don't we actually start to even initially, let's, let's kick this off with new building development so it actually it starts to create incentives for new buildings to actually go above the standard to inform that. But all of a sudden the market starts actually demanding, I want to buy a five-star building foreign life safety rated apartment. Another important advantage of this is that it would raise awareness of fire and life safety among potential residents of tall buildings. I asked Justin how the system would be run? There's a, a range of options. Initially this could be a system where a new building development actually pays to have somebody who has this. So it would be a, a recognised standard of, um, of rating. So that would be a group of people identifying what do we, act, how do we want to rate these buildings? And it would be per the type of building. So like a high-rise apartment building would have a certain criteria versus an office building that might be slightly different. Initially it could be an opportunity that buildings actually possibly pay to actually have this independent um, auditor. Possibly it could even be a government-led project to actually rate these buildings. But by having it as, a, as an incentive for buildings to want to put this five or six star on the front of their door, that, that's a huge thing. And then when we look at it, um, this concept, there is, there's potential to actually tie this into insurance premiums. 
So there is the potential to be a, a cost benefit when we start applying this rating system. Justin says that although his research project was wide-ranging and had many findings, there was most response to this one, the proposal for the fire and life safety rating. He said that the US, Australia and New Zealand have shown the most interest, but that the UK is widely considered to be the country most likely to make major changes and consider such a revolutionary idea. His inviting discussion and response to the proposals, and we've included his email address and a link to his report, evacuation methods from high-rise buildings and identification of fire and life safety improvements for the vertical world in our show notes for the episode. Bobby Wilson is the Fire and Life Safety Director at 10 Hudson Yards in New York. The 273-metre tall tower is part of a 1.7 million square metre real estate development that includes five other tall buildings. He is also a former captain of the New York City Fire Department and former Deputy Commissioner of Operations for the New York City Office of Emergency Management. He not only responded to both terrorist incidents involving the World Trade Center, he spent a year managing emergency response at Ground Zero. When I arrived on scene uh, September 11th, it was beyond anything that I had ever imagined. And I was like, where do you begin? I I was literally, I I didn't know what to do because I didn't know where to even start. Um, You know, and it wound up, uh, it kind of fell into place. Uh, One of the chiefs um, from the fire department told me, you know, Bobby, we need to get in and start putting out these fires, but we can't access the streets because they're covered with debris. So there were, you know, parts of the building, there were, you know, cars, there was rubble, you know, there was all of these things. You know, so that kind of, you know, okay, chief, I got it. So, you know, I I wound up um, through our logistics division who was operating up at um, Jacob Javits Center. I told them what I needed. I needed tow trucks. I needed front end loaders, uh, which are like the, I, I don't know what you call them in the UK, like uh, excavators, you know, things that could scoop up debris. Uh, and dump trucks and pickup trucks, not pickup trucks, uh, tow trucks. So uh, I staged them all on Broadway, uh, a couple of blocks away from uh, the Trade Center, and I assigned them to particular streets as teams. So, you know, the dump trucks would line up, uh, the excavators would load up the debris, they would load it. They would, you know, drive it away, and I gave them instruction, just find some place to dump it. I don't care where you dump it, just dump it. Um, Same thing with the tow trucks. Uh, The tow trucks, I said, you come across any vehicles, hook them, get them out. You know, we needed to start clearing the street so that the fire department could get in and start putting out the fires. And I had, like, you know, multiple teams working on multiple streets simultaneously, you know, and then one thing led to another, and then like the next thing that you know, so that was an operation that that had to go on, you know, for for you know days. We're going to hear more uh, from know, Bobby in our fourth episode on fire safety, but I asked him what he thought about Justin Francis's idea for a fire and life safety rating system. Did he think that a rating system would raise awareness of fire safety among building users and put pressure on developers to improve safety? Overwhelming. I I agree a hundred percent. I agree 100%. But he says the cost of doing this would be the main challenge, and he doubted whether the developer would be able to make back his investment costs. 
you could have an architect really build a building that is just, you know, so much safer than buildings that are currently built. But the price tag on that is going to be $150 million as opposed to $100 million. The reality of that is that, you know, they're not going to be able to charge extra rent because the rent is driven by the square footage and the location. So now the building owner has to try to recoup $150 million investment as opposed to $100 million investment. You know, and the rent is still going to be the same because, you know, how do you so how do you sell? Well, this building, you know, don't get me wrong in coming from my world. Yes. Like if 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 buildings were rated uh, based on a like a, a, a safety rating, say one to ten, and I was moving into a building and that building had like a fire safety rating of two, you know, I would say you know, to my wife or whoever, maybe it was just me. I'm not moving into this building. Not with a rating of two. But as we will hear in our next two podcasts, some of the technologies and methodologies that can be employed to make buildings safer are not necessarily more expensive. And the fundamental systemic change that's been identified as critical for the UK tall building sector means the time is right for new ideas and better fire safety to be adopted. I'm quite convinced that we are still very much largely ignoring how people, all people, can get out of a building. We, we talked during the week of um, an ageing population, people with mobility impairments and challenges like having a sore knee from a sporting injury through to being pregnant and not being able to walk down the stairs at, at the same pace. So we do need to look at improving how we get people out of buildings. Work is ongoing into finding better ways to evacuate people from buildings. And in our third podcast, we examine a strategy being employed in a building currently under construction in London. 22 Bishopsgate. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media, produced and hosted by me, Bernadette Valentine. Special thanks to FireX International and the Tall Buildings Fire Safety Network, Justin Francis of the Queensland Fire Service and Bobby Wilson of 10 Hudson Yards. Mixing and editing by John Young. Fact-checking by Rian Owen. Additional story development by Vilo Mitrovic. A big thanks to Jim Robertson-Moore. Our theme music comes from JM Sounds, with additional music from Pond5. Rory Harris is our emergency responder, and we'll be back next week with more. If you like this podcast, please leave us a comment or review on your podcast app. This really helps others to hear about us, or simply tell a friend to have a listen. Engineering Matters can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Podcast Addict, Blueberry, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Engineer Matters, or find us on LinkedIn or Facebook.